thank you for joining us once again for another episode of Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. And our continuing series, because of uh, of, of your support, with the uh, the alcohol thing. And I, and I love this. And it makes me excited to think that people are passionate about this. They're passionate about listening to the podcast. They're passionate about sharing it with other people. And I think one thing that I'm that makes me really excited is that it normalizes the conversation. I'm sorry, I'm looking at my dog outside. Uh, she is, I'm trying to make her not eat her poop. And right now, all right, I'm not going to watch. Okay, let's get back to it here. Let me tell you, squirrel, um, I get distracted easily. I think that normalizing these discussions is one of the things that I'm just really proud of and uh, and how people have become so willing to talk. And it's like, hey, listen, this is a public forum. This is a podcast that a lot of people can hear. They're like, yeah, I know, but I just really want to get my story out there. So I'm not going to keep talking. I think probably the weakest part of this entire, entire podcast is when I'm introducing it. So let's stop and let's get right to it. This is a woman named Mary. I'm going to guess Mary's probably 50, 55-ish. And her experience is fascinating. And she's so committed to her sobriety. And I think some of the things that she will share with you are really powerful. And 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 here's the thing that I'll remind you about. Anytime you hear somebody that might be older than you, this is what I've learned as I've gotten older. They were your age not that long ago. So even a 50-year-old, in their very recent memory, they were 25. Now that might seem impossible to somebody who's 25 or 30. It's like, oh, she's 50. But every 50-year-old has a 25-year-old living somewhere inside of them. As every 70-year-old, I heard somewhere, every 70-year-old is, um, uh, is no, inside every 70-year-old is a 35-year-old saying, what the fuck happened? And I love that. So let's hear Mary's story this week on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Mary, I'm so thankful that you were willing to be on the podcast. Mary and I have never met uh, we don't know each other, but Mary has a story to share. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Let's start by saying that you have been sober now for, I think you said seven, almost eight years. Uh, it'll be eight years in December. Wow. God willing. Why sobriety? What point did you get to? And you can start anywhere you want to, Mary. Why why sobriety? Why aren't you still just having a couple of glasses of wine every night or whatever? Why sobriety? Well, uh, sobriety because I'm a much better person today. I'm happier. I have things in my life that I never would have re- received had I not stopped drinking. Um, I believe um, I was alcoholic from the beginning. Um, I have parents and grandparents that are alcoholics. And I believe it just runs in my family as many other families it does. Um, I remember being, my, my parents were big partiers. So they would always have people over for bridge and parties and dinners. And I was always stealing the alcohol at a very young age. Probably how, how, I want to stop there just for a second because people are shocked that my mom used to give me beer when I was four years old. How <laughs> young were you when you would steal the alcohol from mom and dad? I was probably in before middle school. Okay. So like 10 or 12 um, or 12. I drink it. I would save it and I put it in this big green chest that had a lock on it that I thought nobody could get into. Um, and all of a sudden I had like this whole trunk was filled with booze by the time I turned 13. 
And then I had a party. And then oh. it was my friends all got sick and I didn't. And I was like, <laughs> I like that. Give me some more. Wow. So my first feeling of alcohol was <sighs> it changed the way I feel. It made me a social person, more social than I was at that time. Um, it made me have feelings like I could do anything. I belonged everywhere. Um, and then that led through high school and college. And um, I got married. My husband was a drinker, too. We kind of drank at the same level. Um, and all of our friends were big drinkers. I remember we would go out to dinner and it was like we were too drunk to even eat dinner. You know, and we were at great restaurants and it was like, well, shucks, you know, and then let's go get another drink. So what really happened was for me um, and every person's story is different, but yet we're also similar in the same way. Um, I got divorced. Um, and when I started that process, I started drinking a bottle of red wine every other night. And that's not a to me, that's not a big deal. It wasn't back then. Um, and then I moved out from the home that we had, we had two kids, they came with me, um, lived with my parents for a little bit. And then my dad died of a sudden heart attack. I had to give him CPR. Oh my gosh. I'm the only daughter, you know, it was my mom and me trying to save my dad and, um, needless to say, it didn't work. Um, and that's, that was not. That's God's plan, not my plan. But I, I really gave it all my all. And I just figured I just didn't do it right. Right. And so that led to drinking one and a half bottles a night, going to two bottles a night. Um, and mind you, I was a single mom trying to raise kids. So how so, would your how would your drinking would you wait till the kids went to bed and then oh, you'd start no, 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 you'd start before then? No, I would start um, the second we all got home. So say they had soccer practice. Well, by the time we got home, I was like, well, I'm 30. And so I, I knew I'd have bottles in the refrigerator waiting for me. You know, that's the alcoholic brain. It's like um, we have to know when and how much we have because we need to know, do I have to stop on the way home? Because by the time I put in that one bottle, I'm going to be out there driving and being an alcoholic. I've done it a hundred thousand times. You have driven drunk to some yes. degree, a lot of times, a lot of times. You know and what, Mary, I'm you're the first person on the podcast who has admitted to that. And I've never really asked. I think there was somebody <laughs> a couple of months ago and this was the woman who woke up in the middle of the night and she drank vodka in the middle of the night. So she wouldn't get the shakes. And I'm like, yeah. well, then you were driving to work drunk too. But I, I never really specifically addressed that. But you did. I, you you drove drunk to some degree or another a bunch of times. A bunch of times. And I'm ashamed. And I'm ashamed that I have my kids in the car a lot of the time. With your kids in the car. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you hear that a lot. It's I'm not different than other people. We just kind of admit it like I just did to you. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds really bad, but it, 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 I did it. You know, I can't take that back. I can only try and help somebody else that doesn't to tell them that's not a good idea. Right. Right. Of course. And I think that's what the whole podcast is about for people to hear these stories and somebody who's lived it. What, 
was life like then? Were you hurting from the divorce and the shock and trauma of your dad's death? Yeah. Was and, and, and trying to raise two kids and, and even without all that life is challenging. So. Right. So I think, you know, the, the starting point was getting divorced, dad dying. I think the hardest thing for me, and I'm going to be completely honest, was raising two ch- kids by myself. Mm-hmm. Their father was not involved. Um, I mean, he may have seen him one Saturday a month for 10 years. You know what I mean? Um, everything was on my shoulders. I had to be mom and dad and the wine helped me. I will be honest. It, it really was able to calm my nerves cause I was a nervous wreck <laughs> trying to raise two kids. Um, and then, you know what, Dave, it, it all of a sudden changed one day and I, there's no day that I can describe when it happened, but, um, it was, I can't stop thinking about alcohol now. Um, you know, in the morning I would wake up and go, I'm not drinking today. I feel like crap. I'm not going to drink. And, um, you know, that would make it to about noon and you're like, Oh God, I, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. It wasn't that bad last night. And on my way home, I pick up another few bottles of wine the next morning. And that became my, my day in and day out. I was drinking every single night and going to work and functioning as a mom. How long did this go on? I think because, Sometimes we hear a story like this and we think, well, it went on for a couple of months and maybe it was a couple of months. And sometimes it's like, no, it was about 20 years that I did this. How long did this go on for you? I was was drinking normally, so to speak, for a long time. I was drinking alcoholically um, probably for 10 years. For 10 years. Yeah. Okay. At at any point, Mary, and this is like, this is so puzzling to me. Did you ever say, because some people say, I'm fine. I don't have a problem. I can quit anytime I want to. The old cliches. I knew I had a problem. I'm saying that again? I knew I had a problem. Uh, I, I tell this story a lot when I'm in um, an AA meeting. What really um, kind of got me one day was um, my kids and I lived in an apartment. We lived on the third floor, and we had this grassy patch of land right um, below us. And I could see into this other person's um apartment. They were on the first floor. Their blinds were always open. The TV was always on. And it just intrigued me. Like, what are you doing? You know? And there was time after time, after time, after time, I would see this woman slunched over on the sofa. I looked a little closer and there was always, there was always alcohol around. So you would look into this other woman's apartment and you would see her like passed out on the sofa with booze everywhere. Yes. I know that sounds creepy, but it, it, it happened for a reason, I believe. Um, and so I wasn't ready to stop drinking then, but I made note of that going, God, I don't ever want to become like that, right? And then I woke up one day and I looked in the mirror and and this was December 3rd. And I said, you have become that woman. Wow. How did that make you feel? Because I think that you saw yourself, like you said, it was probably meant to happen. Yeah. You, you saw yourself just by chance through that other woman's window and and you said oh my gosh how did that make you feel oh my gosh my heart is racing right now Dave because I haven't thought about that in a long time um I looked in the mirror and I was disgusted I couldn't believe the life that I had led 
when I was a little girl, the only thing I ever wanted to do was be a mom. I thought that's my calling, right? And here I was, my, my kids were taking my glasses off and turning off my TV because I was passed out. Wow. That was happening every night. And I'd wake up thinking, oh, everything, okay, we're good, right? I would have a little notepad by the side of my bed and write down all the topics of conversation that my kids and I had that night. So in the morning, I could wake up and look, oh, yeah, we talked about that, 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 and that. So kind of a cheat sheet, like I remember what we talked Total about? Cheat sheet. Okay. Yes. But you know what? They knew the whole time. They always know. Always know. You're not, you can't fool your kids. Whether you're hiding bottles or, you know, you're talking in a certain way, they know. How, they just know. Mary, how old were your kids at the time when this was going on? And it went on for 10 Teenagers. years, so there was a range. Teenagers. Okay. So they, so they did they say anything to you, Mary, at the time? No. Like, no, never did. Never did. And, 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 and that day that I said that um, in the mirror to myself, that I was so disgusted that I became her, I, I actually called a few people and said, this is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? Like, should I go to a rehab? Should I go to an outpatient? And they all said yes. And I thought I was so secretive and mm. so un under the radar that nobody really knew. But they and did. Right. How did they right. know? Because it sounds like you drank alone a lot secretly at home and nobody would know. How did they know? I'm talking my close friends. Okay. Like my mom, when I told her, uh, she didn't, you don't, what, what are you talking about? I just hid it very well. Okay. And alcoholics do. We hide it very well. We don't want people to know what we're doing and what we're going through. Why is it, and I know that you have your experience, why don't some people see that? In other words, you can take a video of somebody staggering into the wall and peeing on the floor and slurring their speech and, 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 and why, maybe you don't have an answer, maybe you talk about this in AA, some people go, holy shit, that's me, and other people go, oh, it was one time. Why are you being an asshole about it? Because they're not ready. They're in denial. They have to be ready. A hundred percent. I mean, if I went back two years before I got sober, I certainly was not ready. Even though I knew in my head I was an alcoholic. I knew. I knew I was shamed because my kids would see me drink or they would see me pass out. I knew, but beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's a hard thing to admit to yourself. It's like, oh my God, now what? My whole life has been, my whole life in the moving forward is now ruined. Well, I'm not going to be able to drink at my daughter's wedding. What? I'm not going to be able to go through graduation with my kids and not have that celebratory toast. That's ridiculous. That's or, how I used to think. Okay. And that makes sense because I've heard people say, I'm going to go out and have a glass of wine with dinner or I've been working all day. I'm absolutely going to have a glass of wine or two, mm -hmm. but that's when you're not ready. How do you get to that point? Because that's the thing about alcohol. It is addictive. It's not just there. It is addictive. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do you get to the point where you say, I'm going to take this addictive thing that's been a part of my life for X amount of years and I'm never going to touch it again. Uh, I can only answer that for me. Yeah. Because everyone's different. You know, what, what my bottom was, somebody else's bottom is killing somebody in a car crash. Okay. 
I now have a friend that that happened to. And, and this young, young girl in her 20s is now in prison. Her whole life is she was drunk driving and, and happened to kill somebody. That could be me. That could be anybody who drinks right now. But I will say the difference between alcoholics and normal drinkers is that we can't just have one drink. Talk to me more if about we, that because that I have we, noticed that. That is very if, true. If we, I'm going to speak about me. If I have one drink, it's already a chemical reaction in my brain. That one sip is, I've got carte blanche. I, I know what I'm doing. I can handle it this time. But I tell you that I, I don't have relapse in my story, but I know so many people that do. And where they left off when they got sober is exactly where they pick up when they get when oh they my gosh. So they don't start off mildly drinking again. They start off right where they left off six months ago. Yeah. I mean, they, it may take them a day or two, mm -hmm. but then they're right back. And then all of a sudden, four years go by and you're like, what happened? What and you... only if something happens in their brain that they say, or a, a lot of times it's that look that a wife or a husband gives, you know, like, I'm done. I'm not playing this game anymore. You either go get help or we're, or we're done. I've heard that story a lot too. And that's motivation for, for somebody to get sober. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second because one thing that we've never really talked a lot about on the podcast in the eight or ten episodes we've done is when somebody either hears something like, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm divorcing you, you've been drinking for 10 years, you mm -hmm. won't stop, you're drunk 80% of the time that I see you, I'm mm -hmm. going to leave you. Is that mm -hmm. a good idea? And maybe it is and maybe it isn't. You know, what, what I've learned, Dave, is that we are not responsible for anybody else. And, and the way that it was described to me, um, because I had a son that overdosed when he was 17 years old. And I, was, I had just gotten sober in December. He overdosed February 14th. And I called my sponsor and I said, I have no idea what to do. And he was in the hospital and she gave me the best advice. And she said, that is not your journey. As much as you're going to want to inject yourself into his life and telling him what to do, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes that pushes people away. Sometimes you have to just let them be and figure it out on their own. And I did that. And my son, he's a drinker today, but he has a job. He has a girlfriend. He has the life that he really wants. And is he an alcoholic? I can't say that. Right? When you say overdose, Mary, it's a personal question. Was it an alcohol overdose or was it some other kind of overdose? <sighs> okay, so he had alcohol, um, weed, cocaine, and Xanax bars. Okay. okay. Yeah, At 17 years old, that's a hard one to say, this is your problem, pal. You can't do that as a mom. He's not even a legal adult. But guess what, Dave? He, uh, I'm 5'8". I'm not a small, you know, I'm, I'm slight, but I'm not a small woman. I mean, big woman. Um, he's six, four. Yeah. And that's what single parents have such a hard time doing. It's like, I used to say, I can't get him in the car. How do you want me to get him from here to there? Yeah. Because I can't get him in the car. And that at that point I had to just disengage. And I would say, 
I love you. I love you. I love you so much. I know that you are going to find your way. Did he? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Did he see he had a problem with the overdose? Was he like, shit, mom, that scared me to death. I want to stop. Or was he like, screw you? I said he had to go to rehab. And by day three, well, I had him arrested too. So he went to a psych ward for three days. Okay. Which was probably the third hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Because he calls crying. Like, why would you do this to me? You know, Um, well, because I was scared of you. That's why. Because you picked up a knife. Because you were still high when they let you out of the hospital. You know, so, no, he he thought, well, I'm going to be look like the clown idiot who's going to rehab for weed, mom. That's ridiculous. Because he said all the other stuff was just, you know, here and there. So, like I said before, we have a great way of keeping our secrets to ourselves. And that is what kills us. If we don't have people that we can go talk to... Um, or share things with, or, you know, be scared about something, um, nothing will ever change. Because change is probably the hardest thing that people have to deal with in their life. And if they have to do it alone, most of the time they're not going to do it. Because they don't know how. They, they don't know how. They don't. They don't. I mean, they've never gotten to this situation before. Mary, no. what would you what would you tell somebody? I want to ask you just a couple of more questions. What would you tell somebody sure. who was you years ago, seven or eight or nine years ago, who, what would you tell somebody who is, who was you? You know, um, there's not a lot of things that I would have listened to, to be honest with you. Um, somebody would say, um, Hey, you're drinking a little bit too much. I see. I would drink more. I'm sorry. That's just how I was. Um, they may have said, when you're ready, we have a program for you. And I would go, <laughs> I don't know. You think I have a problem? Look at you. Look in the mirror. You know. I mean, it would be. Wow. You can justify anything. It's denial, denial, and denial until you can't. Till it's a court order, or until somebody dies, or till you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because you know how much energy goes into a day of planning to for alcohol. Way too much for an alcoholic. You know what? That was one of the first things that I learned on the first podcast when I talked to Big Jess. He, I'll never forget it. He said, I'd be at my daughter's basketball game and I would hope it wouldn't go into overtime. Yes. So I would have time to go home and drink before bed. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I, when I had younger kids, I would be the mom to say, I'm a drop off mom. I'm not a pickup. I'll drop the kids off, but I will not pick. Cause you were drunk. I was drunk. What did you do as a substitute? Now, I know that AA is wonderful and it works for many, many people and you probably would swear by it. But at the I same do. time, and, and I think that's great because I think that it is, it is one of those consistencies for 100 years or however long AA, is, AA has been around. It's been very consistently a help for so many people. Um, if you're willing to work at it, yes. If you work at it. And yes. what about the cravings though? Let's just talk about... Oh, and your triggers and you're sitting down, you're sitting Okay. It's like, okay, you're going out to happy hour with your friends or you're watching TV and you want a glass of wine in your hand, but fuck, I can't have any. I can't. And then you look at, and look how glamorous it looks on TV. You know, um, for me, the obsession lifted very quickly for other people. It takes 
you know, could be months, could be six months, it could be longer. But for me, the obsession lifted within weeks. Just by luck, just by chance. Whether it's by chance or where I was willing. Okay, I understand. Okay. Where I was in that I hated myself. Okay. You know, and so I was willing to do pretty much anything to stay sober. Because guess what? I walked into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and everyone was laughing. And I'm like, what do you, you guys are a bunch of losers. I don't want to be here. Why do you want to be here at seven o'clock in the morning? And I wanted what they have. You know, I hear it a lot that one of my um, sponsors used to say would be, um, boy, I hate all of you guys. You know, you guys are a bunch of losers, but gosh, I sure hope you like me. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of how you feel. Wow. And I will say, I know we're getting close to time, but I would say when I walked in, I didn't want to be there, obviously. Um, but within a matter of days, I felt like I was at home. And I felt surrounded by like-minded people that, that lifted me up and loved me enough to say, you can do it. I'll see you here tomorrow. I'm saving you a seat. And it took that accountability for me to keep coming back. I think that's so great, and I want to ask you one more question, Mary. That I could actually, I could actually ask you a whole bunch more, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, why keep going back to AA? I mean, why do you do you still go? I'm going to guess probably once a week. <laughs> um, well, I do five Zoom meetings uh, Monday through Friday, and I do one or two weekend meetings in person. My gosh! So you are I, you're you're like no, many I'm times not, a week. I'm not, no, I'm not one of those people who I. People will say AA is my life. I say AA is part of my life, but I I'm I have an outside AA person. You know, I still have normal people in my life who are not alcoholics. I still engage in the whole thing. It's just what am I willing to do to keep sober and stay sober today? Because I love hearing other people talk. So do you? And I love hearing what they did in the same circumstance I may encounter in a year from now. And I'll go, Oh, I remember what they did. So it's just life tools, Dave. It's life tools. So would you say that you go back to AA, but not just for you, you, do you go back to help other people? Is it the social aspect or you, do you feel that if you did not go and you must love it to, to be involved six or seven times a week, um, uh, do you feel that if you did not go back, Mary, that you would relapse? No. no. Um, I say that today. Tomorrow's another day, right? Yeah. Um, I think I love the fellowship. I love the, the people that I have met are probably the most humble, um, loving, caring, compassionate people I have ever met in my life in those rooms. And, and I think that there's such a big misperception and misconception about who are alcoholics. They're not the people sitting under the bridge. You know, they're your coworkers. They're your bosses. They're, they're your judges. They're your police officers. As I listen to Mary's story, one of the things I really admire about her, and I think one of the things that works on this podcast is it, everybody on here is kind of anonymous. You don't know who Mary is and you'll never meet her. And even if you did meet her, you wouldn't know because you don't know her. So Mary can tell us things that she might not share with her friend or her cousin or whatever. 
And I think that one of the things we've never really brought up on this podcast that she brought up was the drinking and the driving. I am so opposed to drinking and driving because I've just heard so many sad stories. And I think the saddest story I heard, I was one of those nights, I was late night watching some public access show. Remember public access shows? This is back before everybody had their own YouTube channel. So you used to go down to your local, you know, like channel 43 in Golden Valley. And you would go in this little building that was a dumpy little studio and you would record a public access show. Do you remember that term? So basically it was like anybody could have a TV show because the the airwaves were supposed to be available to the public. So you would reserve your time at channel 16 in Excelsior. And you go into this building with a studio and you would record your show. Public access. I was watching a public access show one night 15 or 20 years ago. And there was a dad who had lost his son to a drunk driver. And it, and he just looked shattered. He looked broken. And I don't remember all the details, but I remember here was a dad who, who his buddy, his, his son, his, his hope for the future uh, was killed senselessly by a drunk driver. And I remember the dad's words, something like the, the interviewer asked, did the drunk driver show any remorse? And dad said, no, mostly he just seemed to be concerned about staying out of jail, staying out of prison, dodging blame. And that broke my heart because for the rest of his life, his father is going to miss his son because of some person drunk driving. And, and Mary, I know you're listening to this one. Um, I'm not judging you. I am so happy that you never hurt yourself or anybody and I'm so happy you're not doing it anymore. But I will say to anybody else who's listening, the decision to drive drunk has got to be made before you start drinking. Because once you start drinking, you're in no frame of mind to judge whether you're drunk or sober enough to stop. Because trust me, we've all been there. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Well, your judgment's terrible at that point, and you're not fine. So... Decide not to drink and drive before you start drinking. And that's it. Thanks for listening to Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Have a great week.